Matthew chapter 5 is where we're continuing today. In the Pew Bible that I'm reading out of and that's right in front of you, it's page 859. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 38. Uh, Some of you may have heard um, my grandmother passed away this past week. I know, Frankie Pearl Bird. Uh, Frankie Pearl passed. She was 97 years old. Uh, She was a saint. Uh, We loved her dearly. Uh, I've told stories before about how I sort of attribute her witness and her demanding that her family be raised Christian, that my parents are my father for sure, and, uh, and the rest of us. The, the f- spiritual legacy she has is incredible uh, amongst all of her many grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Um, she's 97 when she passed. She'd been in memory care for about a decade. Uh, and the last time that I was able to see her was probably four years ago. Um, it would have been more recently except COVID, and uh, we weren't allowed to go see her. Uh, for a while there, but it's also aggravated by the fact that she lives in Austin, Texas, and when we return home to see family in Texas, it's Dallas. Austin's another five-hour drive, uh, or eight to ten hours round trip then to go to Dallas after the 15-hour drive uh, from Aiken to Dallas, and so it's just hard to make it down there uh, to see her, and when I saw her last, um, I was apologizing. I felt bad. Uh, as a bad grandson, I hadn't, I hadn't been to see her Uh, more recently than that, and that I knew I wasn't going to be able to see her again soon, even though I had no idea COVID was coming. Um, But I I apologized to her. I I felt like I wasn't doing a good job as a grandson. I apologized. I said, Mamma, I'm I'm so sorry. You know, it's been so long. God's been really gracious to us in in the church that we get to be a part of out in South Carolina, but it is far away, and it just means we're not going to be able to see you as often as I'd like to. And, uh, and sweet mamma, she said, oh, no, 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 no. She said, don't worry about me. I'm just, I'm so proud of you, and I'm so happy for the work that you're doing, and you go do that work that God has for you, and I'll be just fine. And without missing a beat, she just took my hand, and she was sitting in her wheelchair, and she took my hand, and she started praying for me, uh, a blessing. And it was so sweet. Um, and while she was praying a blessing for me, she got she got caught in a loop. She was saying the same thing over. It went on for about five minutes. It was, it was it's nothing to do but laugh about some of these things, but it was, it was so kind, uh, this loop of a prayer that she kept repeating for me there, uh, this blessing. And uh, I mean, she could have, uh, she could have been the kind of lady who let me know, who said, sure wish you came by more, or uh, gee, why aren't you here more often? She could have been that type. Uh, She could have demanded the honor, the homage that was due to her. She could have been like the dowager in Downton Abbey, uh, who will let you know uh, if you're not doing quite right. But no, with no need for honor herself or respect or standing or homage, she simply gave glory to God and was gracious and didn't care what was due to her. She was just rejoicing to see the gospel go forward, and it was such a blessing to me. And uh, we, we won't be able to gather uh, for a funeral service until Thanksgiving or so. My parents are leaving tomorrow to go to Germany for three months. My dad's going to pastor a church there in Germany as an interim uh, for the next three months while that pastor takes a break and comes back to the United States. 
And so uh, about Thanksgiving week, we'll go down to Austin. Uh, we'll gather up with the cousins when all of them are able to get together as well. And we'll just share these kind of stories uh, about what a wonderful woman, uh, Frankie Pearl, uh, Bird was uh, to all of us. And uh, we'll, while we gather, we'll look forward to the resurrection of the dead as well. I think, dear sweet mamma, as she grew in life, she grew closer to the Lord and looked more and more like this kind of passage to me. And so I think this passage, as I was reading it and preparing this sermon, I thought of her, what it was for her to not demand honor, not demand what was due to her, not even be upset if she didn't receive what was due to her, but rather look for ways to make herself less to lift other people up. And in that way, bear the image of Christ. In this passage today, Jesus is going to talk about how the law was given to make sure that there was justice and fairness, but how for each of us, our lives, we are not to ourselves demand fairness, but rather look for opportunities to be merciful and gracious. Let's pray together and let's read the word of the Lord. Father God, I thank you that you speak to us so clearly now. And I pray that when we hear your word today, we wouldn't harden our hearts, but that we would believe and that we would obey. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 38, Jesus continues his sermon and he says, You have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, well, let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks of you. Don't turn away the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord for us today. First of all, as he's been doing in this section, Jesus takes a piece of the Old Testament law and he says, you have heard this, but let me tell you rightly how to understand it and apply it in life. And in this passage, he takes a command for justice out of the law of Moses an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and he tells them the right application. He says, when this law came along, like so much of the law of Moses, it was about restraining some of the worst tendencies among the people. The law had its purpose as guiding them and directing them towards God and revealing to them how they were deficient of God's will. But the law didn't make everything perfect, it just in certain places restrained imperfection. You'll understand this when Jesus, in this very sermon, says, you know, 
you heard the law of Moses said, give a woman a certificate for divorce when you send her away. But I'm telling you, it's wrong to send her away except for marital unfaithfulness. And Jesus will explain this in another place to the Pharisees. And he says, that law was given to you like that because of the hardness of your heart. The idea was, whereas at that time in civilization and the nations around Israel, uh, men would treat women poorly and send them off for whatever reason. They weren't able to work or own property, and so they were just devastated and destitute when sent off. The law tries to make this slightly better. By, they're required to send them off with a certificate of divorce, this announcement that they have not done anything wrong or committed adultery and therefore have some standing for remarriage and to be accepted in society. Likewise, notably, the law doesn't forbid slavery, it just forbids chattel slavery, that, people, that slaves should have no rights and be treated as property. Rather, uh, slaves have to be treated well and be released fairly when their debts are paid, the Old Testament law says. It makes it better, but you should also understand that the whole witness of Scripture beginning to end is that slavery is wrong, that God brought Israel out of slavery and that slavery is e evil and they were never to go back to that. And he restrained certain things. Likewise, we have here for the law, there must be justice, eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But the punishment has to fit the crime. Say a crime was committed. The answer for every crime can't be put him to death. Neighboring nation, we don't like him, put him to death. You know, you loiter straight to jail. Uh, you do anything wrong, we'll cut off your hand. The punishment has to fit the crime. And that's what this verse was about when God gave it in the law of Moses to, to say, listen, the punishment has to fit the crime. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, not you punched me and so I get to kill you. It's not about retribution. It's about fairness and justice. And so it goes for us today. The punishment should fit the crime. I mean, if you could be sentenced to life for a misdemeanor, there's something wrong. That's not justice. Likewise, if you can get off easily, having murdered someone or done something wrong, that's not justice either. Punishment needs to fit the crime. But the people of Israel had taken this verse about justice and made the interpretations about personal retribution about getting what's theirs. You see, the application that Jesus gives here is not about serious bodily harm, any one of them. It's a rather about insults, about slights, about uh, civil law and not criminal law. And so while it's true, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, the punishment needs to fit the crime, yet they're applying this to every little slight or problem or small lawsuit that is going on and demanding satisfaction for everything. And what Jesus says is, rather than you demand what's yours, rather see every one of these as an opportunity to show grace. Do you want to be called a child of God? Well, then you have to act like God who prefers to show grace than to show judgment. Take a look at each example. First, the slap on the face. He says, if somebody gives you the backhanded slap, the slap that's not an action of violence, not a punch, but rather sort of a demeaning thing. This is the way you might slap a child at that time, do not slap children. I'm just saying at that time, this is the way you might have hit somebody who was inferior to you or mocked a slave. 
This is a shameful act more than a violent act is what I'm saying. This isn't punching somebody. This is demeaning them. If somebody demeans you, what does he say? Shrug it off. Turn to them the other cheek as well. If someone sues you for your shirt, this was a legal thing that could happen, the undergarment being more valuable than the outer, and the outer garment, the coat or cloak, a full-on cloak, was the sort of thing you couldn't take somebody from somebody legally because it was a necessity, both for modesty's sake, but also for warmth and could be used as a blanket. If you had nothing else, you'd at least have a cloak you could go sleep under at night. But you could hide your shame in public and be clothed. Jesus says, in a small civil lawsuit like this, don't worry about what's fair or what you're owed. Rather, go above and beyond in order to make personal reconciliation. See, getting what's yours or the legal obligations is not what's focused here. What Christ says is forget about that. Forget about what's getting your due. Forgetting about getting honor and reputation, rather, Go above and beyond to create reconciliation in a relationship. Give him your coat too. Do what it takes to make this right and create reconciliation rather than retribution. Uh, I saw this uh, happen in a very small way. So this past week, we go to the rental house that we got there in Destin. And it's become a pattern in rental houses these days to leave various kinds of swag, you know, a water bottle, a Frisbee with the name of the rental agency on it, that sort of stuff, right? We got a little fancy this year. There was a nice uh, Otterbox brand cooler backpack. We looked it up, it was like $70 backpack with the rental company's logo on the front of it. But hey, that was a pretty nice piece of swag. And there was just the one of them. We came in and we were making jokes about how we need to call the rental company and find out if they have two more of these and just see if we can get one to, you know, fall into our possession. Uh, because everyone, you know, my, my father-in-law, uh, who, who rented the house, uh, who's rightfully is, but I wanted one too and so did my brother-in-law. And so we were joking about this and going to the rental agency and, and just trying to be charming and, uh, and see who was more charming. And if we... We would go in and compliment some people and say, my, how symmetrical your ears are. Maybe give me a swag backpack. And uh, it turns out we were able to get one more. We were able to finagle one more. And that's more what I was interested in than the actual cooler backpack was the pursuit of swag uh, than having the stuff. I don't really need this in life. You know, we have a cooler. <laughs> I can take to the beach. I didn't need that one but we wanted pursuit of it. And so with just one of them, there became the inevitable debate between my brother-in-law of which one wouldn't get it. And I said, man, take it. I don't need it. It's not important to me. And he's like, no, 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 no. You, you take it. And we had to go back and forth. And it was the dumbest thing because it was like, I mean, and we could afford it. Neither one of us would have paid 70 bucks for this cooler backpack, but we could have. But back and forth is, listen, I don't even, I don't want it. I'm not interested. I'd rather have the friendship. And this is a small thing, but it's a joy to have for me to have a brother-in-law like this, who even though it's a silly thing and these things happen, he meant it. He was saying honestly, not, oh, I don't want it, but I really do. Uh, he was saying, all I'm really interested in is a relationship with you. I don't care about the stuff. And I agree I have a great brother-in-law. All I was interested in is the relationship with him. I don't need the stuff. This is what Jesus is saying. If it comes to a lawsuit, a civil one, don't worry about the stuff. God has all the stuff we need. 
do what it takes to create reconciliation because the relationship is priceless. The third example he gives this is walking a mile. This is a probably about a uh, Roman ordinance where a soldier could make a civilian, one of these Jewish people who was subjugated, carry all of their gear, their pack, their ruck, if you will, uh, for a mile, but no more. Could say, hey, grab it and pack it in and let's walk. Could indenture a person for just about a mile or so, perhaps. There's no real record on that, but that, that seems to be the consensus of how it was. And while this is a humiliating obligation, because you're essentially taking a person of any level just not a Roman citizen, and telling them, hey, you, now you're my footstool. You know, now you're my servant. It was good for nothing except humiliating a person. I mean, a soldier can carry his pack. The only purpose of this was humiliation. And when Christ says is, when someone humiliates you, what should you do? Go the second mile. Let them know you don't care about honor or pride but rather you would be a servant to see that person bettered. He takes the humiliation that somebody is trying to do and says, rather, I'm here to love and to serve. For us Christians, it would be like if we were in this situation, what we would do is say, no, no, I'll carry it a little bit further. And let me tell you about how Christ carries my burdens and my sins. So this is nothing for me because he'll carry yours as well. If we're going to follow Christ, then we'll have to do what Christ did which is not care at all about his reputation, his honor, his pride, but he made himself nothing and came down and took on flesh for our sake. He died a sinner's death on the cross and he did it for the very people who were putting him on the cross. So in all of these interactions, we must be like Christ. Now a caveat for you, this does not mean that you should stop seeking justice. No, the punishment should still fit the crime. Legal justice still needs to happen. And laws always have to be reformed and changed because they made sense at one time and in one context and they need to be adjusted or shifted in another. We ought to always seek for justice because justice is an attribute of God. But these aren't justice issues. There's no serious bodily harm. The caveat is, don't stop seeking for justice. Likewise, don't allow bodily harm. If somebody's trying to attack you violently, defend yourself or get away from there, one way or another. You don't have to stand there and say, yes, hit me again. That's not what's going on here. What's going on is an assault to pride. And the response is, I don't care about my pride. Don't allow bodily harm. And finally, don't, don't let people swindle you. That's not what's going on here either. Seek justice. Get yourself away from bodily harm and don't let people swindle you. These are all things that are about honor, that are about pride, that are about standing and social standing. And Christ says, don't care at all anymore about any of those things, but you'll rather see these confrontations, these run-ins, you will now see them as an opportunity to be gracious. Look, how you have another opportunity right now to be gracious and kind. Look how when somebody's a jerk to you, you have an opportunity to shrug it off and care for them all the more. These opportunities come to us all the time, unfortunately. And yet we will daily see them as an opportunity to act like Christ. 
to go a little bit further, not just to endure the slight, to go all the way further and serve and care for the person who did the slighting. Children are hilarious in their focus on fairness for themselves. You all have your own illustrations to bring to the table on this one. Children have an acute sense of what is fair or not for them, especially if their siblings are getting something uh, that they didn't get. Then their radar goes off and suddenly it's a justice issue that I was not treated fairly and that I did not get ice cream either. And uh, my children are wonderful and they've, you know, they're fantastic little saints and angels. But one of them, who shall remain nameless, uh, is sometimes humorous in how dramatic he is about these things. Uh, if he can't have one thing, to fall to the floor and say, now I have nothing. <laughs> and it's hilarious. I can't help but laugh at him. If one of his siblings takes something from him, you've ruined everything. Ah. <laughs> It's funny because it's a child. It wouldn't look as good on us as adults if our concern is getting what's ours or making sure we got what we felt like was fair for ourselves or even caring about stuff and small things, slights, or somebody who even tries to publicly embarrass us or insult us or wants to do us these small sorts of social harms. These are opportunities for us to be like Christ. And you will demonstrate that you are a child of your Father in heaven when in that moment you pray for the good of that person, their salvation, when you hope well for them, when you realize no real harm is done to you by an insult, by an embarrassment, by a slight, by these sorts of things, but you will rather seek to create a relationship. And this takes us immediately into the next section Jesus says, verse 43. You have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And you'll notice if you're following along in the Pew Bible, in that verse 43, you've heard it was said, love your neighbor is in bold, because in our Pew Bible, everything emboldened here in the New Testament is a quotation of the Old Testament. But what you'll notice very conspicuously here in verse 43, you've heard it was said, love your neighbor. What's not emboldened is hate your enemy because that's not in scripture. What scripture says is love your neighbor. What they took as an application of this is, well, obviously that must mean we can figure out who our neighbor is. And once we've decided who's our neighbor, everybody else who's not our neighbor, enemies, and we can hate them. And that's what was going on. This is what the rich young ruler says to Jesus. He wants to be justified. And so he says, okay, who is my neighbor exactly? How far do we have to take this loving our neighbor business? And then at what point is somebody not my neighbor and I don't have to love them so that I can love my neighbor but hate my enemy? Trouble is, hate your enemy never came from God to begin with. And so Jesus rightly applies the Old Testament here. And he says, no, love your neighbor meant love everyone around you. He says, I tell you, love your enemy. And pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Congregation, don't make sides. Make friends. It may sound cheesy, but it seems like there are always some people out there who are looking to make sides. Who are looking to find out, okay, who's on my side and who's not. And let's get set up and let's beat them whoever's not on my side. 
It looks like there are people out there when, when slighted, rather than being gracious and kind and loving, this is just the way of the world. Instead of being gracious and kind and loving when they've been humiliated or insulted, rather say, okay, you're on my list now. I've made an enemy. You've made an enemy, and now you're, now you're on the list. Let us not create sides like that, but rather we are looking to create friends, members, congregation together. Jesus' command is to love, and they're looking for opportunities where it'll be okay to hate people. You know, various leaders and pastors have done this well, and again, you can bring your own illustration on this, but it happens all the time. All kinds of leaders in any organization, at work, anywhere, also churches, who take disagreement as, oh, you must be an enemy. Who take any kind of correction as an insult and a shaming, and so simply can't take correction or even can't handle disagreement at all because it's an affront to them. There's been an interesting podcast out across the last month called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, and it's a put out by Christianity Today, and it's about a church that grew to enormous popularity 10 years ago in Seattle, and then they had campuses all over the place after that. But it had a really authoritarian culture to it. At one point in this podcast, they were, they're interviewing a longtime administrative secretary to the pastor. I mean, she was there really early on, and she worked for five years there uh, and did a great job. And then she was simply at a dinner with some of the elders and their wives and pastors and wives, and some of the wives of elders said, what do, you, what do you think the pastor needs? And she, dearly devoted to this pastor and enjoying being the administrative assistant, she said, you know what he really needs though sometimes is some men around him who will push back on him, who, who, will, who will give him the feedback he needs. He needs some people around him who will push back on his ideas, who will, who will force him to refine his thinking. And then a week later, she got called in, suddenly, not knowing about it, to be told she was there for a heresy trial. No joke. Go listen to the podcast. For confronting the pastor, this is not right and the opposite of what Christ does. It's not just pastors, as I said. You see it at work. You see, it's just the normal way of the world. It can be us too. God forbid any of us bring it into the congregation together. We're not to take somebody who disagrees with us as our enemy or corrects us as our enemy. And rather, we're not really to be out here looking for who's an enemy. Who can I put on the outside? Who am I allowed to hate? Because Christ, our God, gave his life to make enemies into friends to take us who are by nature children of wrath and enemies to his kingdom into citizens of his kingdom. So our action has to be the same way. To put it very concisely, the basic distinction in the world is not political, right or left. It's not the heartland versus the coasts. It's not friend versus enemy. I mean, our nation is awfully divided politically right now. It's, it's tragic and sad to see. Uh, and, and so I'm in prayer for our nation quite a bit. But the enemy is not the other political party or somebody who voted differently or who yells things differently. Because the basic distinction is not right or left. The basic distinction is the world versus the kingdom of heaven. And so people aren't enemies. People are the battlefield the wars being fought over in a way 
Our goal is not to have beat somebody. Our goal is to have converted somebody. Our desire is for them to know the grace and love of Jesus Christ, even those that hurt us or persecute us. This is radical, but it's exactly what Christ did. So if you would be, as this passage calls you, verse 45, so that you may be a child of your Father in heaven, if you would be a child of your Father in heaven, then the main work for you in your life is not to oppose those who are against you, but to work for and pray for the conversion of those who are against you. This is exactly what is called. You have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy, pray for those who persecute you so that you can be called a child of your father in heaven. Because he shows these natural graces on all people. I mean, he makes the sun shine all around the world. He makes the rain fall where the rain is needed on the righteous and on the unrighteous. He says, all the more, you know those awful people that you can't stand, the tax collectors, your stereotypical enemy betrayer? They like people who like them. So how are you any different if that's all you do? Rather, we're going to be a group of people who care about and want well for the people who do us wrong. Again, this is radical, but this is the difference between the world and the kingdom. And if you would be in Christ's kingdom, and you should be, then we will be like Christ who gave himself to take us, enemies of his, rebels against him, and instead gave his life to draw us in to his body, into his kingdom, into his family. We're not here as a main work to do opposition. We're here to do conversion. The enemies of the cross are the only people who are candidates for conversion to be a part of the members of the kingdom of the cross. In summary, Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Children resemble their parents, all right? Someone just told me earlier that little Samuel Bird looks just like me, and that's a compliment. That kid's cute, you know, and uh, that's a compliment. Thank you is all I can say about that one. I appreciate that. I think they all look like me. Uh, Children resemble their parents, don't they? And it's kind of neat when you see it for the first time yourself. I've always, I was a children's pastor. I've always liked children. I've always liked babies. I've been, I, I love holding a baby. I enjoyed being a children's pastor. There was something special about the first time it was my own child that I was holding. It was sweet, like holding a baby, except this one looked like me. (laughs) And this one was mine. Children resemble their parents. Isn't it funny when children start acting like their parents? You've seen that too, haven't you? Have you seen that in a negative way in yourself? When you're like, oh no, I sound like my mother. (laughs) Oh no, it's happened to me as well. We joke about this. Uh, Meredith's grandfather, Pop, uh, he passed away some years ago now, uh, but he was, he was a funny guy. Uh, and he was always ribbing, ribbing people in the family in a fun way in the family. And he would always kind of say something that couldn't possibly be true uh, jokingly. And he'd say, you believe that, Meredith? <laughs> you, you believe that? And so we do it periodically too around the house. We'll go, I'll say something dumb. Uh, and say, you believe that, Meredith? <laughs> and even more so, he... Uh, he, his, his, his wonderful wife, uh, Jojo, is still with us. Uh, she was always a few months older, just like a few months older than him. And so 
he kind of let everyone in the family know that he'd married this old lady uh, who was a few months older than him. And in fact, in fact, Meredith is a few months older than I am. And so there's this time between January and May where I talk about my old lady uh, who's just a couple of months older than I am. <laughs> I deserve, bring it, bring it. <laughs> well deserved. Have you ever sounded like your family, like your parents? You know what it's like. We conform to their image. We start looking like them, and then one day we start sounding like them. This is what we're called to in Christ. What's our goal? To be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You know, I say to you all the time, the standard for what is right and wrong for us is Scripture because it's the Word of God, but even more so, Certain things are right and wrong because of who God is. See, God himself is our standard of right and wrong. You're right when you're doing what God would have you do, when you're acting like Jesus Christ, and you're wrong when you are not. So let us rejoice at the day when you and I hear words come out of our mouths and we say, oh, those are the words of our Heavenly Father when we are insulted, embarrassed, demanded of, and the words that come out of our mouth is, it's okay, I forgive you. Because then we'll know, I sound like my father. What a joyful day that will be. When the words that come out of our mouth are not the violence that we have heard from the world, but are rather the words of our heavenly father who said, forgive them. Who said, save them. Who said, To the woman found in sin, your sins are forgiven. Who said to all those who come to him, the Father loves you too. Here's what you must do today. If you would have your sins forgiven, if you would come and live the good life from this day forward, trusting in Christ, then you must make a decision today that you will change your life and obey Christ, that you believe the words that he is saying, and you say, I'm a sinner who does wrong, but for now on, Jesus will be my boss, my Lord, and I will follow after him. And slowly, day by day, as you pursue turning away from what's wrong, from what does no good for you, from what is not godly, what is evil, and instead pursuing what is Christ-like, you'll start to see yourself living and loving and rejoicing like Christ. And perhaps you will hear Christ's own words come out of your mouth as a witness to others that the Father loves them, that Christ has died for them, and that it's your joy to freely forgive just as Christ has freely forgiven you. Oh, let us come to sound like Christ. Let us rejoice when our lives look like his, when our hearts love like his. Let us rejoice on that day when our words sound just like his. Father God, I thank you that you are so gracious to us. I pray, Jesus, that When we hear your word today, we would not harden our hearts, but that we would let you change our hearts. Here we are, 
all of us, all of our lives for you. Draw us ever closer to you and give us the strength to obey your word. This I pray in Jesus' name, amen.